Hi everyone. Hello. Welcome to Figure It Out. I'm not gonna give. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna give like an introduction of what this podcast is. Who knows at this point? <laughs> um, my name is Marlena Arjo. I didn't prepare a a bio for myself, but I will say that I thought I had fibromyalgia <laughs> for like four years now, and I finally figured it out. It was migraines. <laughs> That's so above very exciting for the fibromyalgia <laughs> thing on um, fibromyalgia status, <laughs> a ladder of status yeah. of diseases. Congratulations! Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> My name is Linda Fredström, and I also think I have several chronic illnesses. <laughs> But I won't go into it. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't consume my life thinking it. It just mm-hmm. just in the back of my mind. Yeah. I know it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have at least three kinds of cancer, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm really worried now because I I took a I took a, a, a <laughs> like a vitamin <laughs> before I ate my breakfast, and now I'm like oh no. <laughs> Yeah, that's bad news. I feel a little sick. We'll see how this goes. It's, it's a race to the bathroom. <laughs> <sighs> okay. I wonder if this will work. I'm hoping that the sandwich will kind of go down there and yeah, and counter capsule it. in the. <laughs> but I'm happy you're starting. If I run yeah, off, should I? I've got some here. So my my old news segment, I've yeah. changed now to instead of recent news, it's going to be Twitter news. Okay. Because Fun. I don't want to address the actual news. Oh, the news got too b- bad. <laughs> it's gotten very bad, and I don't think that I have the education to be like a a spokesperson on it to report on it. Yeah. No. I, Okay, so I have Twitter news we can start with. Yeah. First of all, I, in heavy air quotes, watched Euphoria. And by that <laughs> I mean <laughs> I found a TikTok user <laughs> who takes all the key scenes. Yeah. And then he re-records them where he's playing all the characters. <laughs> so it's the audio from Euphoria, but it's one man with a mustache playing every character. And I watched every one of his videos. You need to tell me right now what his name is. (laughs) And then I tried to show Brad. I was like, Brad, I've been watching Euphoria. It's really good. Come watch it. And he was like, never show me this again. (laughs) It really, I feel like I get Euphoria now. Yeah, I I could imagine that you you don't have to have more than the the main scenes. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if he's covering all the scenes or if they're in order. (laughs) Sometimes... Something will happen, and I'll be like, oh, I thought this already happened, like, three <laughs> videos ago. Yeah, but that's also the structure of the show, that it's just uh, uh, okay. montages, and it go- okay. goes back and forth. All the- Great. <laughs> Highly recommend that unnamed man. <laughs> um, that's all I have to say about Euphoria. But Okay, I thought that was all your Twitter news. And then I was like... No, I've got more Twitter news. It's vaguely um, <laughs> Twitter. Pot Roast the Cat from TikTok died. 
I don't know who um, it is, but I'm going to Google it and be sad. I was, I was not a fan during Potloaf's, Pot Roast's life. I did see Pot Roast videos. Wasn't a fan, but I went through every single video that's been made since Pot Roast's death and, like, openly sobbed. <laughs> <laughs> A lot so. of things can come into a new life, life when someone's dead, I think. <laughs> then you can like it more. <laughs> yeah, I felt like, I don't know, pot roast in life. Like, people were way over... It was, he was just way over... Or she. She was way overrated. It was like, people have never seen a cat before. I was yeah. Like, pot roast is not impressing me. But in I- death, pot roast was taken to a taxidermist. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> the taxidermist is gonna make that cat look better than it did in real life, or like when oh, it was alive. It looked awful in life. Yeah, it looked so bad. I'm looking at pictures of him, like or her. Why? Why is she? She had like cat AIDS or something. <laughs> <laughs> Not cat AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> she couldn't wash herself? Did she not have a tongue? No, like, I think she had cat AIDS. <laughs> I don't yeah, know enough about um, human AIDS, too. Feline immunodeficiency virus. Is that what AIDS is? That's true, HIV it is. is human yeah. human <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I apologize to Pot Roast's mother if she is a fan. (laughs) It's not funny. I'm very sorry for your loss. (laughs) Me too. But you probably got a little bit of a of a money out of it. (laughs) Those vet bills were paid for. Yeah. <laughs> I wept through Pot Roast's final videos. Yeah. It was tragic. Well done. <laughs> um, <laughs> These are TikTok news. My final one is actually, I guess, YouTube news. But <laughs> most of these I learned through... Actually, other than the Euphoria one, Pot Roast and this final piece of news I learned on TikTok. Okay. No, Twitter. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I feel like this is the level of news you get on Twitter, though, which is why I'm labeling this Twitter news. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, David Lynch, in his... um, (laughs) In his daily weather report on Friday, engaged Vladimir Putin in psychological warfare. (laughs) 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 Addressed him for over two minutes and basically said... Fuck around and find out. (laughs) I love it. I'm going to watch this clip after. It was so good. I retweeted it if you want to find it. Yeah. But I don't go on Twitter anymore. Because it's all war stuff now. Well, you're missing out on... On David Lynch's... (laughs) Daily weather Psychic attack on... (laughs) 
<laughs> it's insane. He's like, he's basically like, maybe not in this lifetime, maybe not in the next, maybe not even in the one after that, but at some point, you're going to get what's coming. <laughs> I'm excited. His it's really good. Photography, which he apparently does, is going to yeah. be in my hometown in Sweden, Karlstad. This spring, this summer, I a hundred percent. But I'm also yeah, gonna. Definitely. I'm hoping to use it as a, like as an excuse to have people visit my childhood home, mm-hmm. l- like from Stockholm, which I don't think mm-hmm. is too much to ask. But now I have like a a valid reason for them to. A world mm-hmm. exhibit is coming to. I, I know. I'm getting upset that I. That you're gonna miss it. I'm, yeah. I'm not close enough. <laughs> But I mean, I'm assuming it's it's always <laughs> exhibited in your. I have never proximity. heard of it being exhibited in my proximity. <laughs> okay, then I mean, that sounds like maybe it isn't then. If you're, <laughs> I would just assume that you would keep track of it. But uh, yeah, I would assume that I would be aware if it were near me. Yeah, I but do may- know that um, the music from Twin Peaks is being performed by local musicians this Saturday and I will be out of town. <laughs> no. <laughs> I like I had the website up. I was buying tickets and I was like, "Oh my god, this is the one weekend that oh. I will not be here." Cancel but. your trip. Okay. <laughs> Should we get on sober ourselves the... up and talk about mm. consent? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) So, I just, sometimes I, like, work myself into it, introduce the topic. I'm just jumping right in in this one. Yeah. So, in the U.S., there's no solid legal definition of consent, since it's, like, jurisdiction by jurisdiction, and so most states have their own set of consent laws. I'm not going to talk about um, statutory... So, like, I'm not going to bring up age of consent, Mm -hmm. but that does exist and vary state (laughs) by state. (laughs) What's the highest? Um, Do you know? No. No. I don't even know what it is in my state. Probably because I have no interest in having sex with anyone even close to the age of consent, so it does not concern me. (laughs) But... (laughs) But I think in in TV shows, maybe that's different but i'm thinking about child pornography Mm. as Mm -hmm. you do no but that's always like a in euphoria that's a major like plot device i would say Uh, it's 16 to 18 depending on state so 18 is the oldest 16 is the youngest but maybe that maybe it's still 18 for pictures and i think it's 18 for pictures Yeah. yeah yeah okay um So here's three of the main ways that consent is usually analyzed within the law. So number one, confirmative assent, which is that consent needs to be overtly expressed through actions or words. Two, freely given. It has to be without coercion, violence, fraud, or threats. Mm -hmm. And four, the individual giving consent needs to have the legal ability to consent or the capacity to consent. 
And so things that affect your capacity to consent include like age, disabilities, like a traumatic brain injury or mental incapacitation, intoxication, relationships, like if it's a student and a teacher, Mm. um, unconsciousness or vulnerability. So if you are a category of person that relies on like some sort of care, like a really old person, you typically can't consent. Okay. Yeah. So we're just going to move right along. Yeah. (laughs) That's like a quarter of what I have. (laughs) So consent in the criminal justice system. So these are just some sad statistics about lack of consent. So in the U.S., every 68 seconds, someone is sexually assaulted. For every 1,000 sexual assaults, only 310 are reported, and only 25 result in the rapist serving time in prison. Mm. Within prisons, every year, 80,600 inmates are sexually assaulted. But now I'm going to... (laughs) Now I'm going to... (laughs) Switch focus and talk about... Why someone who is sexually assaulted would choose not to report or press charges. Mm-hmm. That's good. So here's some statistics about like what people have reported for the reasons they did not report their sexual assault. So 20% say they fear retaliation. 13% believe that the police would not do anything to help. 13% believe it's a personal matter that shouldn't be settled in public. 8% believe that it's not important enough to report. believe that, or 7% said they did not want the perpetrator to get in trouble. And I think, I didn't write this down, but I think like 2% said that they think that the police could not do anything to help. Mm. So this is a vague description of how a lot of survivors of sexual assault get treated within the criminal justice system. And this is obviously not like everyone, but this is a lot of people in the criminal justice system. So the first step to pressing charges for sexual assault requires a physical examination and a rape kit. So you have 120 hours after a sexual assault to complete this step before the DNA is gone. And the sooner you get this done, the better. Mm-hmm. So first of all, uh, this, is, this is also like you can't shower in this time. You can't really change. Like you have to bring in your clothes and underwear you were wearing at the time of the assault. And so all of this has to happen before you really have a chance to like mentally deal with the assault. So in the U S going to the doctor is super expensive. And so a lot of people just can't afford to get a physical examination by a doctor. Mm -hmm. I believe rape kits are free, but going to the doctor, even like in the case of a sexual assault would not be free. Okay. Um, so if you're getting a rape kit done, that takes four to six hours to complete. And it involves a lot of invasive DNA collection. So, in the case of, like, a rape, that's going to be a pelvic exam. And they usually do two swabs per area that they think DNA could be. Mm-hmm. So, if you are vaginally raped, that means they have to swab the inside of your vaginal canal twice. Um, okay. It also involves completely undressing and having your entire body photographed. Yeah. Um, they have to swab your own... DNA, so like within your cheek, so they can make sure that the DNA they find isn't yours. They have to take like hair samples and they have to search your entire body for like pubic hairs from the person who assaulted you. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a very long and invasive process. Yeah. And in the US, rape kits are horribly backlogged. 
So the time it's going to take to process it and look through the DNA could be forever. Yeah. I believe you can go to rain.org, R-A-I-N-N, yeah. to help relieve that backlog by donating money. I don't know that. I just made that up. But I'm pretty sure that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but what are they? Can they give money to the police? Um, I think that they use the money you donate to hire biologists who can mm -hmm. go through the rape kits. I'm not sure. Okay, yeah. If that's true, it sounds good. Yes. But it also sounds like something the government should pay for. It absolutely does. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also I saw in the news recently that there was a woman in San Francisco who got a rape kit done. And then the police used the DNA from her cheek swab to connect her to another crime and arrested her for that crime using the DNA from her own rape kit. And that is... One of the most disgusting things I've seen all week. Yeah. That like, sounds like it, it shouldn't be allowed. Yes, that should absolutely not be allowed. And especially when you consider how few rapes are actually reported. Mm -hmm. Now you have to take into consideration if you have committed a crime in the past. Yeah. And it's just going to put more women at risk if you can't report yeah, exactly. your rape. It's such a bad idea. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, so if you get through the process of examination and getting a rape kit done, then you can choose to take the case to, well, if you have the opportunity, you can choose to take the case to trial. Mm -hmm. But in the U.S., we have an adversarial system, which means that the prosecution and the defense kind of argue against each other Yeah. to decide innocence or guilt or to help the jury decide innocence or guilt. And so because of that, there's, there's a lot. So first of all, the defense is going to do its best to antagonize you and assassinate your character. Mm -hmm. So um, actually, we're, I'm just going to go through this and then I'll give a imagine, imagine this scenario. So yeah, yeah. The defense antagonizes your, your story, assassinates your character, you have to describe the assault in front of people who you know and the person who assaulted you, as well as the jury and everyone else in the court work, court work group. Um, you have to miss school and work in order to attend court dates. You have to do all this in front of the offender, yeah. the person who has recently assaulted you. Yeah. And, okay, so imagine that you have just been through this traumatic experience and in order to take it to court, you have to tell your parents at one of the worst moments of your entire life. Yeah. Then they have to sit there and watch someone get paid to call you a slut and blame you for your own assault. Your boss and coworkers can find out and then their behavior around you changes. Mm. If you have a job that involves a lot of publicity, then you could become known as a person who experienced sexual assault. And on top of that, like the the offenders' families or fr family or friends could come through and like read letters about how great that offender is and how he would never do this and it must be your fault. Mm -hmm. And you have to sit there through all of this in front of this person that assaulted you and your family and friends. Yeah. And as a result of how 
traumatizing that whole situation can be, of 53 legal advocates for sexual assault survivors who were surveyed, 52 of them said that they have had clients express regret over pressing charges. Yeah. And again, if you go through all that, only like 50 out of 1,000 sexual assaults actually result in someone being sentenced to prison time. That's very low. That's very low, yeah. Even of like the 300 that are reported, 50 out of 300 is still very low. Yeah. So now I'm going to talk about how we have been teaching consent in the U.S. Can I just ask about the character assassination aspect of it? That's, just so I understand it, that's something you can do for all types of crimes? Yes. Have you, like, do you have any feeling on, like, is it more common in these cases? Yes. Or, like, yeah. It's, so, victim blaming in general is more common in sexual assault cases. Yeah. And so, in all cases that do go to trial, there's probably going to be some aspect of, like, blaming the the victim and trying to say, like, it was their fault that this happens. Like, for example, in the O.J. Simpson trial... Um, the first one when he killed his ex-wife, not, not the second one when he threatened someone at gunpoint. Okay. Um, the defense tried to, despite the fact that there were like hours of recordings of Nicole Brown calling 911, like scared for her life, saying yeah. like, OJ Simpson's here and he's going to kill me. Despite the fact that they had like her journals where she had detailed him like physically assaulting her. They had like photographs that she had taken of herself covered in bruises after he had physically assaulted her. They Mm -hmm. had like her friends and family saying he was physically abusive to her and she was scared for her life. Despite all this, the defense still tried to act like she was the one that was abusive to him and she was controlling and she purposely made him jealous. And that was for like a victim of murder. Yeah. So it does happen for all cases that go to trial, but it's heightened for sexual assault cases. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's in... Have you watched Big Little Lies? Uh, I, Season one I watched. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Maybe this is a spoiler then. <laughs> but it's just... It's interesting how they talk about, like... Because one of the characters is sexually abused by yeah. her husband. That's that's in the first season. But yeah. like how they talk about that um, as being, yeah, how they kind of rel- relative. Maybe that's put that in relation to whether like maybe she she enjoyed some of the violent aspects of it mm-hmm. or like, um, yeah. That it was, that she was uh, also part of it because she would maybe at times hit him back or like, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, so there's a, yeah, there's an idea of like how you should be a a good victim, I guess. Um, Yeah. Which feels very relevant in the rape. It seems mostly, like as far as I can tell, it seems to be more common for there to be, like, a good victim idea in gendered crimes. Yeah. And so things like... 
I don't like if you get your your watch stolen. Like maybe a few people will be like, "Well, you shouldn't have been so flashy with your watch, or you shouldn't have like mm-hmm. brought a watch like that in in a dangerous part of town." But like in case of sexual assault, it's like, "Well, you were a big party girl." Yeah. You loved the attention. You hung out with guys all the time. You had sex with strangers constantly. And it's like, there is definitely an aspect of, like, you weren't, like, you were asking for it. You brought it on yourself. But, like, there's also an aspect of, like, why would you even be upset about this? Yeah. When you are such a bad person yourself. Yeah. And, like, you have sex all the time with random people and you don't care. So why does this one any different? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That feels yeah. like, yeah. Just kind of. Yeah, because... But it, that feels like it's about some kind of respect or like, yeah, that you're different from other people in that you don't mm-hmm. think it, it's it's a big deal. So anyone can do anything to you, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Go on. Sorry for <laughs> <laughs> interrupting. Okay. So how we have been teaching consent in the U.S. So in colleges specifically... Women in U.S. colleges, or like anyone, but especially women in U.S. colleges, are at an elevated risk for sexual assault. So in order to try to combat that, a lot of colleges have adopted, like, training systems that freshmen have to go through to teach them about consent and sexual assault and things like that. So one type of training that's really common focuses on teaching women preventative measures. Like, Mm -hmm. don't drink too much and don't go out by yourself at night, things like that. Yeah. But one of the biggest complaints about this type of training is that it puts all the responsibility of preventing rape on the victims and none of it on the perpetrators. Yeah. There's also very little evidence that this type of training does anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, another type that's used in colleges is training that focuses on bystanders. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> like people, people standing by and not uh, could witness yeah like not people and not the victim or the offender but people that are around yeah. the victim and offender so this type of training focuses on giving these people that could potentially witness a sexual assault the tools they need to be able to intervene in that so like for example if you are in a frat and you see your frat brother like kind of walking off with a girl that is way too drunk to consent. You may feel like a social pressure to not do anything because that's your frat brother and it's probably fine and you don't want to get involved. Mm -hmm. Uh, This type of training teaches you ways like grabbing your friend and asking him him a question and distracting him from the girl or like telling him that Mm. you think his car is being towed so he has to run outside and deal with that. So you can kind of diffuse the situation without actually having to like do some sort of faux pas and step in and get involved and call it out as being yeah yeah sexual assaulty Mm. (laughs) um there's also a more recent type of training that's been used both in and outside of colleges which is a 12-hour program called enhanced enhanced assess acknowledge and act program um and it has had much more promising results than other types of trainings have in the past. It is based on feminist social psychology theory, and its focus is teaching women to understand their sexual 
their sexual and relationship desires and how to recognize factors that can raise the risk of sexual assault. Like teaching them to avoid situations of isolation with someone they don't know very well or like notice sexual entitlement in someone that they know. And sexual entitlement is to like feel entitled to sex maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> but like while this has been effective again like on one hand I I see the argument that this isn't teaching women to stop rapes from happening it's teaching women to be empowered to speak up about their sexual desires and their relationship desires. Yeah. And it's also teaching them like warning signs in men that they should be a little bit more wary of. But again, it's the focus is on teaching people to prevent rape, not to not rape themselves. Yeah. So my last thing is how we can teach consent. So a lot of the conversations about consent that I've heard or like been a part of haven't been taken very seriously. Yeah. Because, like, conceptually, the idea of, like, getting an enthusiastic yes at every single step forward in, like, a sexual encounter doesn't sound very sexy, and people make fun of that a lot. Mm-hmm. First of all, I kind of think that's stupid, because I think that consent can be sexy. <laughs> but, like, you don't need, like, a, a verbal communication of, like, is this okay? Yes. Okay, I'm going to do this now. Good. I want that. Like... No. It doesn't need to be a sterile conversation like it can be incorporated you can tell if somebody is super into something or not super into something and if you have doubts then you can be more direct about getting consent and i also feel like because like we wouldn't have this situation if people weren't (laughs) completely like unresponsive to signals but obviously because i'm okay this is just my idea but like i'm thinking that like some cases of sexual assault is very clear. If yes. someone is passed out and you have yeah. sex with that person, it's it's not an like it's it's clearly sexual assault. But then there are like all of these um, more gray area type of yeah. like when it, when it's a person who's not into it and like feels really uncomfortable. And there, I think that's. That's on all the all the men, and possibly women as well, but who who didn't take those signals seriously, and then we yeah. have to have this system because like I think you can tell when somebody is engaged and yeah. an active participant in sex, and if you are in a sexual encounter with somebody, and you think like, oh, are they as into this as I am? Then I think. It is more appropriate to be like, do you like this or does this feel good or yeah. should I keep going? You don't have to be like, are you consenting to this encounter? Like, first of all, I don't think in your normal healthy sex life, you need to be having those conversations very often. No. I think you can be able to pick up on signals and have conversations both during sex and outside of sex yeah. where you're ensuring that everyone is comfortable and happy with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. If you're ever trying like something new, then maybe have a conversation outside of that sexual act to be like, 
hey, I want to try this. Are you okay with that? Or is this something yeah. you'd like to try? Yeah. But I just think that people need to be more aware of, like, what the gray areas of consent look like. And at those mm-hmm. points, be more vocal and, like, get the enthusiastic yes that you hear about. Yeah, yeah. And just, like, like in any other situation, I'm going to get... I have the tea analogy re- locked and loaded <laughs> but uh, I'm gonna try to not use it if you're just like hanging out with someone and you're really excited about it but that person is just being really like quiet and weird and like mm-hmm. um, you're not gonna I mean either you ask that person like hey are you like are you good do you want to keep like hanging out mm-hmm. or maybe you just end the conversation you're like okay yeah. uh, I, I have somewhere to be like that's also an like, option if you're having sex with someone and you don't feel comfortable in life with that, yeah <laughs> You can see someone's, like, not vibing. Yeah. And then you're like, well, if they're not having fun, I'm not having fun. And then you're like, hey, I got to go, actually. I'll talk to you later. Yeah, exactly. If you bring up something and you can tell everyone in the room is uncomfortable, (laughs) then you change the subject. (laughs) You're doing this all. You're getting consent in your everyday life. Just apply those same rules to sex. Yeah, exactly. Don't be like, yeah, just like treat it like a social interaction with another person. <laughs> Although, with that said, I could see how a lot of people couldn't take hints in a social situation as well. Okay, so here's my <laughs> here's how we should we should teach that. Yeah, yeah. So number one, start very very early. So like as soon as your kid can talk and walk, start to teach them about the importance of respecting boundaries. So like if you're if you have your child and they're meeting their, or they're seeing their grandma, like your parents, whatever, I don't know, some relative they don't normally see and your relative wants to hug them and they don't want to, don't force that. Say your body, your decisions, you get to say, I don't want hugs and you don't have to get hugged. Yeah. And this like apply it the opposite way. If they want to hug their friend goodbye and their friend looks uncomfortable, then have a conversation with them about like, Hey, your friend looked uncomfortable. You shouldn't hug them when you don't think that they want to be hugged. Yeah. That's in Sweden. It's uh, like all all kids have learned that now. So they yell, <laughs> stop min kropp. <laughs> Which means uh, stop my body. So like implied uh, my body, my choice. That's but incredible. I think it's, it's really funny because like a lot of kids use it in kind of like a teasing way or like that they're like, you can't do this to me because it's my body but i think that's good like yeah it's <laughs> if they I don't are think making that's the that's... case in the u.s no. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I ask my clients i'll be like hey do you want to do a high five and they're like what <laughs> like, it's your choice we can high five we cannot high five up to you <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't know if it's everyone. It might be a progressive inner city Mm -hmm. kid Mm -hmm. thing. But I hear it in playgrounds. It's great. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so that's when you're a kid. Yes, and at the same age, also try to teach emotional intelligence, perspective taking, and empathy. So teach them to listen to tone of voice and body language and respond accordingly. That's Sounds like something I... you can use in, in lots of aspects of your life, not yes. just sexually. <laughs> I am working on that exact concept. 
Like all three of those things with a 15-year-old right now at work. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) So then when, after childhood, when you have a teenager or a young adult, allow them to ask you questions and provide a judgment-free space to address their concerns about anything, but also like sexual concerns or relationship or like identity concerns. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, because I think a lot, like most teen, most teenagers can figure out, I don't know, the basics of things. Yeah. And they like to have conversations and learn more and like understand things better. But if they feel like if they ask their parents about sex, their parents going to get mad at them and like say no sex till you're married, like some shit like that, then they're not going to. And then they're missing out an opportunity to like become better adults yeah but that feels like a difficult thing to say to someone (laughs) who's like no sex before marriage because then that person yeah probably Um, doesn't care about or like it's yeah (laughs) sex is something else for them maybe that's another thing that i try to do with my clients is let them ask me whatever they want and i won't tell their parents unless it's like how do you kill yourself and then i legally have to yeah but (laughs) Or how do I kill uh, my parents? <laughs> yeah, that one too. <laughs> but on the other hand, like, that same 15-year-old client the other day was like, why can black people use the N-word and white people can't? <laughs> and I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> do you have another adult that you're comfortable with? <laughs> She's also asked me things like, in a lesbian relationship where there's a baby, who is the mother? <laughs> I think these are valid questions. <laughs> or like They they're... are valid questions. And like, I, I think it's great that she comes up with them and like, considers them. I just want to disclaim, but... I didn't mean that like, you have to choose who's the mother. I just like, that's a, <laughs> yeah. in a heteronormative society, yeah, exactly, that's a yeah. relevant question to ask and like. Yeah, um, but yeah, um, <laughs> it's 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 not easy for you. So, or like the other day, she was like, "Is it difficult for women to get abortions?" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "You mean like mentally or like physically?" <laughs> you were like, "Yes," and that's why we're donating to <laughs> get your allowance. <laughs> Get your mom's credit card. <laughs> We're gonna make a, a withdrawal. <laughs> she also, I had to. She made me read out loud to her Sarah Palin's entire Wikipedia page <laughs> and explain each line to her. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> so as an adult, here's what you can do to help teach consent and to help improve the way we talk about consent in everyday life. So one, call out victim blaming whenever you see it. Two, redefine your concepts of masculinity without violence and inherent sexuality. Three, empower women and sexual minorities to be vocal on their sexual desires. And four, and this I am very passionate about, but don't make rape jokes and if your friends make rape jokes just be like why is that funny can you explain it to me i don't get the joke yeah 
can you give me an example of a rape joke? Because it feels so far fetched <laughs> to me. <laughs> and then I'm gonna fucking assault. <laughs> so okay, the most common ones that I have heard is like, when I was in college, people used to be like, "Oh my god, I just raped that test." Oh yeah, that's true. Do you remember when everyone used to talk about face rape? <laughs> or was that a was that a concept in in the U.S. as well? For Facebook, if you'd log into someone, if you hack so like, okay, this is a Swedish term, maybe, but like, <laughs> if you, if you like hack into someone's account or like if someone's logged onto the computer on their Facebook account, you write a, like a status update or something, and then you're like, you've been face raped. <laughs> That's so. It's insane. <laughs> But no one um, reflected on it at the time. <laughs> yeah. A, uh, also, like, I don't know if people... St- I'm not around college students anymore, so I don't know what college students are like these days. But, like, a common, like, joke people would make was no means yes and yes means anal. Um, <laughs> you're not supposed to be laughing at me. <laughs> you say it though that's what i'm like (laughs) um like okay i don't think anyone was saying this seriously that i ever heard but people would say it like facetiously what is that about like facetiously (laughs) (laughs) like people would say it being like purposefully obnoxious Mm. talking about like frats or like, like, I don't know. It was definitely thrown around more than I was comfortable with. Yeah, but I think it mostly was making fun of the rapists. Yeah, not the victims. But I think it came from a place the of experience themselves. <laughs> <laughs> like I think that there used to be, or actually there still are. I think, but. Um, on like the week when all the students arrive, a bunch of frats will put up big signs that say things like "Thanks for your daughters" mm. or "No means yes" and "Yes means anal." Yeah, and I think that's where it comes from. And then like people would throw it around all the time when talking about frats. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very bad. <laughs> <laughs> and like, but- it's possible that. Everyone that I know, because I feel like I haven't heard rape jokes in a long time, but I think it's also possible because I'm really obnoxious about it, that everyone I know that (laughs) likes rape jokes either doesn't make them around me or, like, isn't friends with me anymore. Yeah. And maybe that's also, that's part of your contribution (laughs) to the discussion. (laughs) But, like, one of the easiest things you can do is just ask someone to explain why the joke's funny. Yeah. And they'll never try it again. Yeah. <laughs> funny Especially to do in it front like... of, like, multiple people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny if you would do it, like, in a really, like, actually confused way. And just be like, Yeah. wait, like, how... What is the... Like, I, no, I'm just not understanding... Is it funny, like... Because victims of rape 
go through all this trauma and it takes years to get over. Like, I'm just not understanding the joke. Can, no, can you just, like, maybe explain it in different words? Yeah. <laughs> can you, like, give the context? What are these, like, maybe, characters like? Like So, okay, so sub, take out the sexual assault. Because maybe I'm just having a hard time with the rapes. Like, maybe maybe try, like, domestic violence and then maybe it'll land. Oh, yeah, that's, that's more... <laughs> Like, <laughs> that's more relatable for me <laughs> yeah but the, very good takeaway I think a very um, concrete like a uh, specific thing you can do if yeah, you do nothing my... else at least ask people who yeah it's who so easy making... and it's it's very funny yeah um I just, last night I, I wrecked someone on my <laughs> university's, or like my class's discussion board. Yeah. <laughs> and just talking about calling someone out on a rape joke reminded me of that. And I got like all hyped up again. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? Or was it related to rape? No. No, it was unrelated to rape. I, I had posted a comment about um, deterrence in punishment and... I had contributed a few ideas that I thought haven't been covered in deterrence theories, but like maybe related to deterrence, but like none of it was backed up by evidence because the research doesn't exist. It was just like, here's some ideas that I think could contribute. Yeah. And one of them was like the ability that people have to conceptualize the punishment. And I offered this as a suggestion for why the death penalty isn't a deterrent. And some fucking police officer <laughs> replied to me and was like, I'm just not understanding why people couldn't conceptualize the death penalty. Like, I'm sorry. I should, it's very sexist for me to give her like a Valley girl accent. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she's like, I just don't understand why Like, I'm having a hard time understanding where you're coming from saying that people can't conceptualize the death penalty like, look at how few people commit capital crimes. That tells me it's a deterrent. And I came back at her with, like, five different sources. And I was like, so there's no difference in homicide rates for states that have death penalty, states that don't. There's no difference. All evidence points to it not being a deterrent. I'm pretty sure the reason we don't have a lot of capital cases is because most people don't want to commit capital crimes. Yeah. <laughs> I certainly don't. To me, me not murdering my neighbor has nothing to do with the deterrence of the punishment. It has more to do with the fact that I don't want to murder my neighbor. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> I was not saying this was a certified, like, for sure concept. This was my idea of why we have so many studies that say that death penalty does not have a deterrence effect. Yeah. She never responded. <laughs> <laughs> It's a, it's a funny suggestion that people don't like commit murder because <laughs> they might get murdered in response. Like, do you think like she was literally was like people don't commit a lot of capital crimes that tells me it's a good deterrent. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like is that why you aren't committing capital crimes? <laughs> She's like, personally, I just don't think it's worth it. 
Maybe if I lived in another state. <laughs> Thank God I live in Texas, because if I were in, like, I don't know what states don't have a death penalty, but it'd be over. We'd have a problem. <laughs> Homicidal rates would be through the roof. <laughs> she also had, like, no sources to back up her, any of her claims. She was... I also, like, at the end of my discussion, I was like, are there, do you, do you guys think, like, there's a difference between, like, deterrence rates, or, like, deterrence, factors of deterrence for, like, different age groups, like, youths versus adults versus the elderly? Yeah. And then her response to that question, which, like, I was talking about, like, do you think, like, the severity of the crime is, like, or, like, the severity of the punishment makes a bigger difference to, like, youths versus adults, or, like how quickly you get punished makes a difference. She was like, well, the only way to punish teens is to take away, I swear to God, she goes, to take away their social media devices. <laughs> <laughs> That'll teach them. <laughs> well, you have committed three cases of murder. I'm going to need your cell phone, sir. <laughs> Three no weeks, TikTok for, for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That sounds, it sounds like an uneven fight now that you, you added that. It felt a little uneven. <laughs> a little unfair to her. When I, like, when I saw her response, which is like paragraphs long, and I read like her first sentence where she was like, I actually disagree with you. I was like, oh, fuck. Like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have claimed that. I didn't have any sort of, like, it was just a suggestion. I shouldn't have said that. And then when I finished reading it, I was like, okay. Let's <laughs> 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 It's terrible. Just. <laughs> Not a fair fight. Okay. <laughs> but how have you made it? This far in academia, yeah, and you don't cite sources, and you use the term social media devices, yeah. <laughs> and like, why would you think I was? That's what I was asking. Like the entire discussion was like factors of a punishment. Yeah, <laughs> why would she jump to like specifically? We need to take away their TikToks. <laughs> Personally, I am not a fan of Facebook. <laughs> okay but um that's all i had that's your uh, <laughs> your suggestions for uh, consent uh, yes i like them i <laughs> i'm gonna try to make a case for consent why culture. we shouldn't have consent. why we shouldn't <laughs> taking it back to the <laughs> is sexual assault really that big of a deal <laughs> we don't want to ruin these boys lives for one silly mistake is it it's even a mistake a woman. teaching a woman a lesson no Gosh. Uh, someone's gonna clip this yeah. and they're gonna get cancelled <laughs> um, so I suggested this topic because I was gonna listen to a seminar or a webinar on consent mm. or actually they call it they translate it into voluntariness voluntariness 
or something, which I was a word I'd never heard and mm-hmm. um, wasn't uh, f- uh, comfortable using. So I'm just going to call it consent. But um, but in 2018, Sweden got a new law or like definition of rape or like a new way of um, yeah defining rape, I guess, or sexual assault. I don't. It seems to be an interchangeable term. I think the difference is rape is like full penetrative sex. Whereas sexual assault is anything under the umbrella of like... Yeah, I saw something about rape being like penetrative sexual assault. Um, But also it seemed like it was... (laughs) It sounded like it was different in different states as well. But I don't... I I didn't write that down. Uh, But um, yeah, I was going to go to that webinar, but then I couldn't so now i don't have that that (laughs) (laughs) so i'm just gonna uh, read stuff off of wikipedia for you um okay but i'm (laughs) i'm making some connections too um but um so we got this new definition of rape and uh it did cause an increase of uh people who were sentenced to what what is it? prosecuted? No. Convicted. Like, convicted. Yeah, exactly. An increase of seventy five percent from one year to another, um, and they also see the difficulty of like using that, like <laughs> using the new def- definition, or it's like it's it's uh, having to put yourself in a different mindset from the like. Uh, l- legal people's perspective but Mm -hmm. I think uh, what they mentioned is like for example if like the victim has that like typical like freeze reaction so there's there's a fight flight and freeze uh, reaction Mm -hmm. to being like in a threatening situation and if you're like if you become really like frozen or like limp from fear or maybe if you're half asleep and you don't have time to Mm -hmm. react that should still be considered rape. Um, and that those are the cases that are now that you're now able to like convict people for where before you couldn't. Um, and there are all sorts of legal discussions about this. And because I didn't watch the uh, webinar <laughs> uh, and because I'm not legally trained at all, I'm not going to go into it. <laughs> I don't want to. Uh, but um, <clears throat> I, I wanted... wish I could understand Swedish so I could have attended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess yeah, it was in Swedish. Sometimes they do it in English, but yeah, I'll I'll see if I can find it. Get back to you. See if it was a success. Get, or not. Find a way to get me invited to a, a conference. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my best. You might need time to it some... so I can also see the David Lynch photos. <laughs> You need to have a clear connection to sustainability in your studies, I think. Yeah, I'm going a criminal route instead of a sustainability route. Yeah. Social sustainability, maybe. You can put it on that. Um, Okay, my beginning here, I'm not sure. Yeah, so uh, historically, and you were kind of... uh, 
<laughs> referring to that with your no means yes and yes means. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to the to the consent page on Wikipedia. There's a historical kind of timeline from going from the no means no paradigm kind of to the mm-hmm. yes means yes. Um, yeah. And the no means no um, has been yeah was more prevalent in like the 80s and 90s I think I was um, gonna say like 10 years ago <laughs> yeah <laughs> no I read like the yes means yes was like invented or whatever in like the 90, mid 1990s what? so it's been around I feel like for a I long didn't time. hear it until no, like five years neither. ago I think it was just wow. in the in the some progressive universities and yeah in like feminist scholars and nobody yeah. else exactly um but uh, the, the critique against no means no that led to another kind of definition or, or or the use of yes means yes came out of this like idea that like if you're using a no means no approach, this is Sherry F. Kolb, who's a professor of law at Cornell University speaking. Uh, she says that like if we use the no means no approach, um, we have this kind of metaphorical do not trespass sign on a woman's body. Um and it becomes this kind of uh, uh, we we become property maybe, and we have to like kind of guard our bodies in like if you accept mm-hmm. a date or like if you're yeah. going in private with someone, and that's kind of at what point have you consented? Yeah, versus like you don't consent until you consent. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's an yeah yeah. You, then you have to be like really. Um, mm-hmm. difficult at all times to not have And like even in accidental. court cases in the past there's like been arguments of like well she didn't say no. Yeah. And it's like well sir she was unconscious. Yeah. yeah. She couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and someone else Dr. Ava Kedel I don't know who she is but she um, suggested that we shouldn't use the word no, we should use maybe a safe word or like code red rather than like stop mm-hmm. or no, because those are maybe like um, used playfully or like aren't taken that seriously mm-hmm. necessarily in a sexual situation. Um, I think though, if you're engaging in sexual activities that involve like playful use of yes and no, mm-hmm. first of all, you can tell the difference between, like, a no and, like, a no. Yeah. But also, I think, like, at that point, you are, like, taking the initiative to create a safe word for yourself. And you don't need, like, one mandated by culture. Yeah, exactly. Um, That still requires you to... I think so much of this comes down to being able to, like, communicate about sex. And, like, if you're creating a safe word it feels like you're in a place with that person that you are communicating mm-hmm. around sex. So then, then it feels like it's almost solved by itself. Or like it's... <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's why I think like one of the factors that school... Like when I did rape training in college, yeah, none of it was about like my own sexuality. Yeah. And like empowering me to be able to have those conversations with like sexual partners. Mm-hmm. And... I think that's the aspect that we've been missing for a long time. Yeah. It's like women are, especially like within the like relationships, 
women need to be comfortable saying, or, like, anyone needs to be comfortable saying, like, I'm not into this right now, or, like, yeah. I don't know if I want to do that. Yeah. Um, I think, um... Yeah, and then then they went from to to yes means yes, but then there was also discussion around like needing the yes to be enthusiastic, like you were talking about, yeah. or like um, because uh, someone else, Jessica Bennett, wrote that like uh, sometimes saying yes is easier than saying no, and like mm-hmm. uh, if you're in a sexual encounter, um, it might. Um, it might be too uncomfortable to be like, no, I don't want, like... Um, yeah. Oh, I could use that for my recommendation. I watched a... Uh, um, uh, it's a Swedish film, but it takes place... It's, a Swedish, it's about a Swedish girl who goes to um, Hollywood or, like, to, to be, like, a porn actress. And like she... Emily in Paris, but Sweden to America. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All these cultural <laughs> clashes. And... <laughs> She's like, what is this? They're like, a penis. No, but... Uh... <laughs> um, no, but but she's in a situation, in a really uncomfortable scene, but she um, is, like, doing a scene with some other male actors, and she's really, mm-hmm. like... And it's really, a, yeah, a rough scene, and they're... She's really, like, uncomfortable and asking them to stop. And then, like, they stop. But they're, like, obviously, like, this is completely up to you. And we don't mm-hmm. want to pressure you. And then she's, like, yeah, but I actually, I yeah, I don't want to do this. I want to go home. And then they're, like, come on. Like, don't. <laughs> we've, we've come all this. Like, you're wasting all of our time. Like, yeah. so, like, it's it's a false type of, of uh, reassurance that, like. Yeah. And I think that that could be, I just assume that that would be a case in a lot of sexual encounters as well, that you like, even if, if that person is like, I want you to feel comfortable, but if you're like, actually like, yes, but I want to go home now, I like, I don't want, I don't mm-hmm. feel comfortable with that, then the the mood is going to shift and that there's going to yeah. be, um, so then you might actually say yes, just out of fear for like, mm-hmm. what will that like, um, be like if I or like yeah how mm-hmm. how will that and that's part of I think how women are taught to be not um to be like polite polite and and um, take care of like everyone's emotions in their behavior to make sure no one's yeah. hurt or like okay but I'm gonna talk about tea consent uh, okay referencing a video uh from 2015 have you watched it you recognize this I don't think so. Okay. It was like really... It was circulating. Now I need to look who who did it just so I can... Um, Blue Seat Studios uh, were the people who did it. And it was... I think it was done for someone. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Like a college or something that wanted to... (laughs) Okay, but so the video uh, talks about sexual consent... Um, using tea as an analogy for mm-hmm. um, how you can think about consent. Um, and it, uh, so at first it asks, um, so like for example, if, if you're in a situation and you're offering someone tea, 
um, you should ask that person if they want a cup of tea before giving it to them. Uh, and even if that person... Okay, so person A shouldn't force person B to drink tea, mm-hmm. even if person B has previously wanted tea. Or mm-hmm. uh, or maybe if that person is like, oh, I don't know, uh, I have such a hard time sleeping afterwards. Then you shouldn't be like, I'm giving you tea. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and then also a very clear example. If that person isn't like capable of answering, maybe they're asleep, then <laughs> don't give them tea. Mm-hmm. They don't know if they're... <laughs> also, waiting until you've already made the tea and then offering it to them Yeah, pressures them to accept the tea, even if they didn't want it to begin with. Exactly. Um, and I wanted to to kind of build on this metaphor uh, and introduce like yeah some other dimensions of it. Because I think these examples are good for like, if you're going to judge a situation, whether it's like, or like is this a crime or not? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's a good start, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> and I think, but I think it also works well as like a, a metaphor to show like the, maybe not absurdity, but kind of the weird thing about talking about consent and sex as only like something criminal. Cause sometimes it's, it, yeah. And when you, when you talk about consent, it's like, but how can a person, like someone can just change their mind and then, like what happens to the contract that you like it's sex yeah. isn't about drawing up a contract and then mm-hmm. executing it it's about a social interaction like we were talking about earlier yeah it's like just make sure people are comfortable it's that easy yeah yeah <laughs> exactly we don't need to discuss this in terms of like well at this point by not giving full enthusiastic consent the contract no longer exists like just yeah, Is like everyone happy with this situation. Yeah, no, then no, stop. <laughs> exactly. And I read a part of an article from the New Inquiry uh, that said, like, we want to get past the, the, this idea of consent as a legal qualifier, a clinical. After I just did my entire thing on the legal, <laughs> yeah. the legal side of consent. Get away from this. <laughs> No, but that that part is obviously important, and like I said in the beginning, like it it adding that dimension to the legal discussion mm-hmm. makes more people qualify for like actually having been sexually assaulted, and that that can be helpful for people to mm-hmm. like. Yeah. I think I think more people should be convicted of rape because <laughs> more rapes are happening yes. than yeah. than are convicted. I agree, and, that, um, and I think that rape needs to be taken more seriously by. First of all, the media and the public, but also all the members of the, like, court work group. Yeah. Not just the um, prosecutors. Couldn't think of the word because I'm never on their side. (laughs) (laughs) The enemies. (laughs) The baddies. (laughs) Um and I think so So that part is important, but I think it's also important to, like, I want to talk a little bit about, like, consent as a culture, as, like, an, yeah. an alternative to, like, rape culture. And I'm going to talk about that We've soon. set this episode up on accident so well. Yeah. <laughs> where we started legal, and then I transitioned into, like... More of the... More of, like, a social thing, yeah. and then you, you went fully social. Took it away <laughs> to the... No, I'm gonna... <laughs> to get straight to the top. 
Um, so I wanted to uh, talk a little bit, use the tea analogy, uh, move it forward. But I'm also I'm going to mm-hmm. introduce. So when I studied political science, this is like the first theory that we encountered, and it's or it's, I don't know if it's theory, but it's um, presented by the political scientist Stephen Lukes, who is still alive. Uh, I thought it was like a really old theory, but apparently not. Um, so the like uh, political science as a as a research field, a lot of people suggest is about studying power, um, like mm-hmm. power relations. Um, and Stephen Lukes offers like one perspective on power, uh, and he talks about three phases of power, like a face, like eyes and nose and mouth, not mm-hmm. like a face. That follows another face, like just so I don't. I have a little bit of a lisp, so I mean, a face, face, not face. phase. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so okay. three phases of power or three dimensions of power, you can say. And I think those dimensions of powers can be used to like talk about consent and how we uh, need to to change the the whole culture to to actually have better sexual relations <laughs> i guess in society <laughs> so the first Did not have sexual relations with that woman <laughs> <laughs> that relationship could have been good <laughs> a consensual <laughs> encounter <laughs> But not a sexual one, apparently. <laughs> um, one time, I was talking about Monica Lewinsky to my mom. And for some reason, I said the words, she did what anyone would do in her situation. <laughs> <laughs> and my mom was like, I don't think anyone would have done that. conversation with your mom <laughs> okay first dimension of power Continue. yeah is the most clear case of, of like power being used um one person forcing the other person uh, to do something either through like very direct threat but it can also be like kind of an indirect but you're like mm-hmm. you're gonna take this tea now like that's uh, uh or like i drink this tea or I will throw it all over you like mm-hmm. and that's I mean maybe what we would consider the most clearest the, the clearest cases of like sexual assault as well when it's very clear that one person is making the other one do something that they're not yeah. necessarily comfortable with um, so that's that's the easy level the next level it's like the date rape stranger rape level yeah exactly okay. it's it's um clear power being used um then the next dimension or phase of power is the non-decision making power um which is about setting the agenda for uh for the interaction that you're having mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying like i'm this is a political it's used in political situations but i'm not trying to put it into this situation so it's not clear but like in an in an in a situation where you are 
putting up an agenda for a meeting or whatever. Like we're going to talk about these issues. Mm-hmm. If if your issue isn't even on the table, like how are you going to bring it up? Uh, if it's if it doesn't fit within the um, within the debate you're having, uh, and the same situation for like for the tea, I thought like is that like if you are, I mean if you're having. <laughs> tea would or like if, if if i ask you like um would you like some tea and i don't even offer you an alternative like maybe you would have loved mm-hmm. to have just have had a coffee or a glass of water but that's not available to you then maybe or like if i've come over and you have like those little like three tiered trays with like little cucumber sandwiches and yeah. scones <laughs> I'm like okay i see what's happening here yeah exactly like <laughs> Tea is on the table uh, here and nothing else. So, um, and I think the same for like sexual encounters. You could say that Mm -hmm. like what options are available to you. Like um, Mm -hmm. if you're maybe in in a heterosexual sexual encounter. (laughs) Why am I using these words? But then maybe uh, like by... by, um, uh, partaking in like some kind of sexual activity you're expected to engage in some kind of like penetrative sex at some point like that's yeah. that might be like as expected or like that's that's what you're offered kind of thing rather yeah. than like um broadening the scope of like are you are you comfortable with like any kind of like we could <laughs> we could have a discussion about what you're <laughs> what you're into it doesn't have what to be what are you into yeah <laughs> Um, and then the third dimension of power is the most like um, difficult to define, maybe. But it's it's like um, ideological power. So like, how, who, mm-hmm. what is influencing our wishes and thoughts and, and like wants, basically. So um, you might be like persuaded to do things that aren't necessarily in your self-interest and I think that's obviously if like what is your self-interest but you could say that like related to sex a lot of things mm-hmm. are there are a lot of of not stigma but obviously stigma as well but like values attached to behaving in certain ways so I think uh, in some cultures it might be a sign that you're a bad person that you want to have sex so even if you're like actually excited to have it you might be like no I should say no yeah. And not even necessarily that you're afraid it's going to get out to other people that you did it, but that, like, you know that that would make me an, a bad person. If I... I just, hold on, I just wrote a paper, like, last night about this. Not this, but, like, they used a term in this paper. I used, I used a term, not they. <laughs> I used a term in this paper that is exactly applicable to this. And I can't remember what it is. Um, uh, hold on. Other something. Other regarding. What as opposed mean? to self-interested. So instead of acting, because a lot, a lot of crime theories are based on self-interest. Mm-hmm. So you're acting in your best interest to get what you want. Yeah. And I was talking about other regarding for people okay. that are acting for other reasons. For like out of empathy or out of like what they think is morally right or what they think they should do based on society. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's so. So for some people, that might be to not have sex, even if you're like yeah. actually would enjoy it. 
um, for like could be religious reasons or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you are married and yeah. you do have sex, even if you don't want to, because you think it's your duty as a wife. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, but I also wanted to say like for like m- you and I as women in like modern maybe quite progressive circles there might be an mm-hmm. idea that like okay going back to the tea metaphor <laughs> that you're like that you see yourself as a tea person <laughs> someone who's like really w- well traveled and curious and cool about yeah. the whole tea thing so you have like a lot of different uh, kinds at home and you're like so really experimenting with it I love black tea, green tea, arroibus yeah. I'll take an herbal infusion <laughs> <laughs> exactly and like going out and trying like different things is really like uh, part of my identity as like a cool mm-hmm. uh, urban I hang person. out at the boba shop I've tried all their different teas Yeah, exactly. sometimes I get milk, sometimes I don't I've even branched out into different types of boba <laughs> And, you know, like, some people definitely like all those teas, but some mm-hmm. might just be like, and this is actually applicable to me, because I, for a while, I bought a lot of teas, <laughs> like tea, tea packets, because they had these, these, and they were all in different colors, and I really liked the way they looked, and I really mm-hmm. liked the idea of enjoying them, but I didn't like the teas that much. Like, mm-hmm. if I was really being honest with myself. But it became <laughs> kind of a part of, like... I wanted to be a person that, that mm-hmm. liked tea. Um, mm-hmm. So I might say yes to it, even if... Mm-hmm. If I really dug deep into, like, who I was, that wasn't... That's how I, I feel about the cottagecore lesbians. <laughs> I want that lifestyle. It looks so cozy, but I'm being really honest. Their houses are ugly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and that's like, there are all kinds of um, cultural pressures or like Mm -hmm. uh, identities attached to behaviors that I think affect how we uh, behave in sexual encounters as well. Um, And I think that doesn't, um, it it isn't necessarily connected to like rape or like, you know, a sexual assault Mm -hmm. that like, oh, uh, actually I didn't want to have this uh, casual sexual encounter i was just projecting a, a cool girl mm-hmm. um <laughs> lifestyle <laughs> but that's still like even if it's not a crime it's not necessarily something that we should inc- or like that yeah it can still be something that's worth exploring for yourself like what kind of um what's impacting me in in engaging mm-hmm. in this um are you really a cool girl or do you just really want to be a cool girl? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you have an idea. I think uh, a lot of like, if you're in a relationship, there might be an ideal that mm-hmm. if you're really in love with someone, you want to be this this couple that's sexually active all the time. And it, that's yeah. like, that's a signifier of how much in love you are. So like, if you're not that attracted to your partner for a certain period of time that might like make you feel like oh maybe I'm not like maybe this relationship isn't working Um, so then you might want to have sex even though you don't necessarily want to have sex kind of yeah um I think there's a lot of even like within sexual context but like in general context as well within long-term monogamy Mm -hmm. to prove yourself as like 
a good, healthy, in love couple. Yeah. Even when, that, first of all, that doesn't always look the same for everyone. And also, like, you aren't always going to be a perfect in love couple. No. But then I think people that point that out get, like, shit on. Yeah, exactly. Because everyone's like, oh, it's your you relationship. You just hate your husband. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It's a sensitive thing to bring up. Everyone's like, oh, speaking from experience. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, damn it. I... <laughs> now they know that I fucking hate my boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> this whole time I was doing this for show and now they all realize it. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but uh, all of these like aspects of sex, I think, are relevant to or like if you don't want to think about it you don't have to think about it but if you're like uh, I think it could be important in actually shifting from a rape culture to Mm -hmm. a consent culture and I wanted to talk about rape culture because I read also the Wikipedia page for it or or some related (laughs) articles but um, uh, according to Wikipedia feminists and gender activists I don't know what gender activists are, but conceptualize rape culture as a culture environment that encourages gender violence, as well as perpetuating Mm -hmm. rape myths, ranging from treating rape as merely rough sex to blaming the victim for inviting rape. Yeah. Um, And I then I read there like a lot of there's a lot of criticism against the concept of rape culture that like society does not um, condone rape. Wait, I don't. Celebrate rape. Condone, is that mm-hmm. positive or negative? That's <laughs> positive. Okay, yeah. Society doesn't condone rape. No, but we condone a lot of behaviors that are still uh, playing yeah, into think... power relations between men and women. and like Perhaps rape itself is not being condoned, but a lot of the rape-adjacent activities are being condoned, and rape itself is being excused in a lot of cases. Yeah. Like... Even when an offender does get sentenced to prison time or, like, does face legitimate consequences, you still see, like, a lot of people that are going to respond, like, oh, this poor kid's life is ruined. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I have that reaction to other types of offenses, but, like, most people (laughs) don't. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. And And I think, like, all the things leading up to it, like, how we... Um, portray heterosexual relationships are yeah. in a lot of ways uh, perpetrating like ideas of like um, depicting sex as something that men do to women, which I think is quite common. Maybe not as much now, but like it's still it's something that men want yeah. and that women give. Maybe you know what I hate the song WAP. Because it's supposed to be all about, like, empowering women's sexuality and, like, it's sex. It's, like, talking about hardcore sex and sexuality from a woman's point of view. Yeah. But it's still all about the man's pleasure. Yeah. Like, the woman is not getting anything out of her own wet-ass pussy. No. The man is. (laughs) Like, why is she not singing about her, like, swollen-ass clit? (laughs) (laughs) 
exactly. Like we we still can't get it right. <laughs> no, exactly. I think and yeah, that's that's almost like just a, a twist on the same story that like yeah. now before maybe now it was women, about women are sexual so men can enjoy them even more. Exactly. <laughs> Performing really well in the role yeah. of being sexually like available and and fun for mm-hmm. for men to to have sex with. Um and also I think the general focus on like penetrating uh, penetrative mm-hmm. sex rather than like more broadly looking at like um, sex and like rape happening to bad women uh, or like you know that <laughs> just a victim blaming of like yeah but she like we talked about earlier like she sleeps around so it shouldn't yeah. really matter to her and like that's kind of what you get and um, I think also the idea or like more more overarching i think there's a way that we mystify sex that i think makes it difficult for us to approach that we make it kind of like we're i think in a lot of culture it's made out to be something that's kind of mysterious and serious yeah in a way that i think makes it difficult for us to approach and like like we talked about like um talking about sex and asking for consent feels unsex or that doesn't feel sexy for us but i think that's related to the sex being like you know very well directed like in movies or like that you know you can Mm. instantly tell what the other person wants and you can like take control in a way that feels only pleasurable not Mm -hmm. uncomfortable for that person because if you're really like connected like and that mystification of it if that's a word i think Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, m- makes it more difficult for us to to have like open discussions about how how sex can be more pleasurable for more people. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Your fault, not mine. Um, and I think maybe that this like mystified aspect of it wouldn't be a problem if we didn't live in a patriarchy. Um, but mm-hmm. just like just for for fun, I looked up when like in the U.S. Uh, marital rape, so like rape raping your spouse, uh, first became illegal in all fifty states. I and was that... gonna bring that up too. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't look look into like any of the the cases that brought about it, but I, it was. In well, my... I was just gonna talk about India. I I don't know if I ever saw the outcome of this, but like they were recently fighting to make marital rape illegal. Yeah. Like, a month ago. (laughs) Yeah. And in 1993, the last U.S. state uh, allowed, or, like, uh, made it it a crime to rape your spouse. So that's... It's not within yours or mine, my lifestyle. That's a millennial, though. Like... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. A lot of our... Yeah, uh, people in our lives could have been it's within our generation. Yeah, it was. Yeah, um, and I think that's a very clear example of that. Like, rape culture is obviously still going to affect us since it's so uh, mm-hmm. close in time that we allowed someone to just be like, "No, but this is my woman, and I do whatever I want to." Her. Like, well, like look at. Um... Lorena Bobbitt, who's, like, one of the biggest jokes in America because she cut her husband's penis off and threw it in a field. And her husband was fine and got a bigger penis and then became a porn star. 
But like the part of the story no one ever talks about is the fact that he had been like physically and sexually abusing her for like years throughout their marriage. And she was stuck in this marriage because she was an immigrant and he was an American citizen. I don't know this story. Who is this? <laughs> um, let me get the year. <laughs> There's, it's like a really famous case where this woman, I think she like called the police on herself because she had cut or ripped, I don't remember, her husband's penis off yeah. and then thrown it into a field. Okay. <laughs> and, um... <laughs> I just think the part husband... where she throws it into a field <laughs> is funny. Yeah, this was 1993. <laughs> oh, maybe that um, was... That's the reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she was not actually convicted of this crime. Okay. But her husband also was not convicted of abusing and raping her okay. yeah. for the several years prior to the crime. Yeah. And after she cut off his penis and threw it in a field, it was still two more years before she was able to divorce him. Mm. And he's a real piece of work. Yeah. And he got a brand new penis put on largest ever and became a porn star and like went on a whole like media tour where he talked about it and like everyone was like oh poor john bobbitt what is what a sad story his wife's a a she demon and she didn't even get in trouble Mm. but like she had been abused for years and that night that she did it he had raped her yeah and it didn't matter because that was her husband yeah. Yeah. So so obviously that's rape culture, right? <laughs> that it's like not looked upon as like something that's And no one remembers the fact that he had raped her that night. Yeah. Everyone just remembers that she cut off Well, I mean, to be fair, the most memorable part of it is her throwing his <laughs> dismembered into... penis into a field. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so curious what kind of field it was and like did she I'm walk picturing there, like to drive. I believe it was out of the car window. Okay. I for some reason in my mind there's a 7-Eleven next to it, <laughs> and then it's just like a desolate field, like like plowed dirt. Mm, <laughs> okay, yeah. So it's like what, can't what? confirm, but that's what I'm imagining. <laughs> that's, the, that's your mental image of it. Okay, but I'm I'm just gonna kind of wrap up now. I think. Yeah. Uh, okay. So. I don't know if I convinced everyone, but I believe we live in a rape culture or like a culture that's like not great at uh, talking about sex, at least in a way that's like constructive or like uh, helpful for us. Is constructive a word? Yes. That like, (laughs) okay, that's good. Then I'm going to keep it. It made sense in in the context. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think an alternative to this uh, unhelpful culture would be consent culture, which would be driven by this like uh, idea that like w- men and women and men and women's uh, sexuality are are equal and sex should be a mutual uh, act driven by like lust and pleasure f- expressed by both parties. And uh, I think consent culture is about like some kind of critical thinking and just open discussion about sex Mm -hmm. rather than this mystified um, hidden thing that we don't talk about. We just know how it works and 
Um, In America, we barely even know that. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. But you're just like, you're supposed to, (laughs) once you're in love and you're in a situation, like then it should just happen naturally uh, with no problems. And I think we should all be allowed to consider what we enjoy and try things that are outside of the box and not necessarily Mm -hmm. that everyone should experiment, like have BDSM. Six. Women should all do anal. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. <laughs> you have been a proponent of, <laughs> of that Not, earlier in the It pod- was just one example. <laughs> <laughs> I was basically saying what you've been saying this whole time. It's just one example. <laughs> That's on you, that suggestion. <laughs> no, but sh- try that if that feels comfortable and fun. But I think, in general, we need to rewire thinking about sex uh, because it's been influenced by rape culture and this like patriarchal uh, society for so long that we can't really expect to... Um, by changing legislation, we're not necessarily going to yeah. um, f- figure everything out and it won't magically be changed once, like you're in a sexual encounter and you ask your pers- like your partner uh, is this okay with you that's not gonna like now we're now we've yeah. done it it's um, about like putting into focus this dynamic and expl- explorative or at least dynamic dimension of sex that it's yeah um, and I think that's what consent I found the planned parenthood has consent as uh, it's as easy as fries, freely given, <laughs> reversible, informed, enthusiastic, and specific. I mean, and they're not wrong, but <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm I'm not a fan of like the the childlike tone we sometimes use yeah. for uh, teaching consent, especially I since I imagine them like teaching this to men and just being like, just think about fries. Yeah. But uh, with that said, like all of those words are right. <laughs> yes. They're not wrong, but they've let me down. <laughs> no, they haven't. I, I still love Planned Parenthood. <laughs> what is the what is the deal with Planned Parenthood? I also have like a. I've oh. never been to a Planned Parenthood in my entire life, but so not speaking from a place of experience, but they first of all offer abor- abortions, but they also offer a whole range of sexual care. Yeah. Um, sexual health care to women, especially low-income women who may not have insurance to go to a regular doctor. Yeah. Can go to Planned Parenthood and get, like, STD testing or, like, mammograms. Yeah. And all sorts of things. Great stuff. Support your local Planned Parenthood. I do. Every year. Nice. <laughs> and I am very obnoxious about it on social media. Mostly because I think it gets the kind of people I don't want on my social media anyways to unfollow. <laughs> <laughs> a win-win. <laughs> okay. But um, I think we figured something out about consent. Yes. It's I a agree. good thing. <laughs> We're pro. Okay. Yes. Um, but what is your recommendation? My recommendation is the movie Pleasure. It's a Swedish movie okay. about a Swedish porn star in the US. My sexual assault recommendation <laughs> is the movie The Hunting Ground, which I had to 
analyzed for a paper for one of my classes like a year ago. But I found it to be mostly accurate and very sad. And it overall, I think, painted a, a good picture of sexual assault in the U.S. Yeah. And nice. my non-sexual assault recommendations, <laughs> I recommend the song Suicide Hotline by the band The Prettiots. I have been listening to it on repeat. And when my client asked me if you could kill yourself by drowning, or if like, no, not, not that way. When she asked me if people had died by drowning, I was able to say, that's how Virginia Woolf died. (laughs) (laughs) And my second recommendation is the song, The Bug Collector by Haley Heinderichs. It's very good. (laughs) All right, great. (laughs) You should make a playlist. Can you make a playlist on Spotify? For yeah, I could for do all that. recommendations, I think that would be fun. Yeah, that would I be would fun. listen to it. All right, uh... bye, bye everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening, everyone. Bye. bye.